Now, welcome to another inspiring edition of Sound Insight with Dr. Tom Curran. Good morning. Welcome to Sound Insight. This is Tom Curran. It, it, it's, it is really wonderful to be with you all, and it's wonderful to be with you, Carrie. Hi, Tom. Carrie, that, Tom. Was, that was enthusiastic. I like that. Boy, it, I was going to say it's Faith and Family Friday, but it's actually going to be Fellowship, Franciscan, Fatima, and Funeral Friday. All in the context of faith, though, so we've got a lot to cover, and I'm excited. It's been a while since I've been on. Uh, lots lots happened, and a lot is happening and coming up, and we'll talk about all of that today on the program, so let's get started. Hey, welcome back to the program. Let's pray. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Lord our God, I thank you that you are the God of the living the God who loves us so much that you intervene on earth, that you draw us closer to yourself, Lord, and that you sent your Son to be among us, to be our Savior, and to give us a hope of the resurrection. Lord, I do pray for all those who are listening, who have loved ones that are near to death, and especially those that are near to death and far from God. Jesus, may your mercy reign, may your mercy rule. And Lord, I thank you for the gift of our Blessed Mother, Our Lady of Fatima. I thank you for her being sent by you, Jesus, to warn the world of walking on paths that lead to destruction. Lord, help us to be awake and alert. Lord, we also pray for peace in the world. Lord, bring about peace in a way that only you can, for you are the Prince of Peace, and we do look to you. And we make this prayer in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Carrie, I love our community of faith. I do. It's, 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 it's actually pretty moving. I'm, what I'm talking about is that, uh, what was it, two, wow, two weeks ago. That time has really gone fast. Two weeks ago, my dad died. Uh, he, I got the call 4.30 in the morning. And it was that he had passed away. I already talked a little bit about it um, on the radio. But um, since then, I have gone back to Boston, and you came back too. And it was quite a journey. And so today on the program, we're going to unfold different facets of that journey uh, back with my family and talk about family and, and the wake service and rosary that we did, and then the funeral mass and the burial. And there were just a lot of, I see the word poignant moments, but it was filled with grace. But what I said at the beginning was, it, it was a little bit overwhelming, the fellowship. And what I mean by that is, as beautiful as it was, the interactions I had with my siblings and nephews and nieces and and cousins and a couple of uncles and aunts still alive. What was equally powerful, maybe even more powerful, was the response of our friends here in the community, in, in the church community, because they're not, you know, we don't have any family around us here yes. in Spokane. And there were a lot of very touching gestures and offers and words and sympathy and and by promises of prayer that just came over the wall. Yes. That was very beautiful to me. Yeah, and I know just having to leave three kids here when we 
uh, flew back to the East Coast, it was so helpful to know that they were in such good hands with uh, several different families. And um, just you could le- we could leave with a sense of peace and calm. And there was such a grace over that time. Yeah, I... It- and it was it was a bit surprising. Like I'm used to being in a position of serving. Like, hey, what can I do for you? Or, hey, let me step in and be of help here. I'm not as accustomed to being in a position where I'm the one that is having people reach out to me and saying, I'm so sorry. I'm praying for you, praying for your family. What can I do? And uh, and then the way that, again, people will like, do you want me to take the kids? Can I, can I take them all? How, how can I help? What, what do you want me to do? So one of the just brothers and sisters, just to realize that when you when you're given the gift of faith, because faith is a gift, faith, hope and love, you know, it comes in baptism and it gets nurtured through the sacraments and other spiritual acts that it introduces us into a community. It introduces us into a community. And it's, uh, I heard someone say uh, a phrase. He said, is every man, you know, no man is an island, or is every man an island? And I thought that's a really interesting paradox. Have you ever heard that, no man is an island? Yes. That's John Donne, the Anglican priest and poet, no man is an island. And... What does that mean? No man is an island. It means none of us are really alone. That, 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 that sense of solidarity, that sense of connection. And yet every man is an island. There's a way in which even though we're connected, we also feel that sense of being alone, being by ourselves. I, um, I think I experienced a bit of both of that. Okay. I, I, and around my dad's death, it did, I don't know if his death really struck me until I did one thing. I, I walked into the home. I walked into my dad's home. We arrived on Sunday late morning, and I was with the kids. Uh, I haven't told the rest of the story. We had flown out to Franciscan I had flown out to Franciscan University and I drew, uh, drove from Franciscan with the four kids that are there, plus Mary Grace, who also flew into Pittsburgh with me. And when we arrived in Boston, I walked into the house first, and it was empty. You know, the house that I grew up in, the house my dad was in, in his last, you know, well, in for his life, for the last 50 years. And now walking in and realizing he's not here. And the signs of him being there were all cleaned up. They were all kind of sanitized, but there were still fragments of his presence. And there was kind of a lump in my throat to realize, wow, he's really gone. It, It became concrete that he was really gone. And I felt alone, even though I was with my kids, even though I was right about to enter into a whole bunch of other relationships with my siblings that I was about to see, there was that way in which I was alone. And I have to tell you, brothers and sisters, if I wonder how people go through 
that reality of losing a loved one in death if you don't have faith, if you don't have that living connection to the living God who is the creator of life and the redeemer of death. And that makes all the difference. And I guess one of the things that's refreshing about being here, I, I find it it's more uh, it's more the case here, and maybe it's more the case now. But when I would let people know, I'm sorry, I'm not going to be in town. I have to fly back to Boston for my dad's funeral. He passed away. There would be that immediate sense of I'm so sorry to hear that. And I would take the initiative to step forward and say, it is sad. I miss hearing his voice, but I know that he's finally home with God. That he, and I would bring up that context of faith. And I said, I've, and, and then they, people would respond. They would say, yes, faith makes all the difference. And yes, it is a blessing. And thanks be to God that, you know, death has been destroyed. And in various ways that people would say it. And these are people that I'm like a real estate agent or a real estate client, someone I'm helping to buy or sell a house that is not from a church connection, a coach on a team. And they would, they all responded with that sense of faith. Wow, I didn't know that. Yeah, isn't that powerful? <coughs> and so fellowship, it's, I think that times of trial, times of difficulty, reveal. They, they, they give a, a disruption of normal relationships, normal ways of interacting that maybe allow us to stay at the surface. They allow us to stay in certain lanes and when that gets disrupted through an event like losing your father, then all of a sudden it opens up the possibility for a more meaningful or profound connection with someone else. And I love that. I think that, that is, that's something that we as Catholic Christian disciples of Jesus Christ, living right now, is something that we got to become more comfortable with. We have to become more comfortable and not be afraid to lead with our identity is found first and most profoundly in our relationship with God. So I'm very grateful to God for the gift of fellowship. And I'm very grateful to God for the revelation that, in fact, something like death can be Become a life-giving disruptor that can open up a whole new level of relationship with other human beings that we, we don't ordinarily have. Well, and when you go through that, it's such a deep, profound change in someone's life to have lost a loved one. And those who've experienced it, um, it brings you to a level of, of emotional intimacy that happens because you've both been through it. Yeah, it's, uh, I have to admit, I also used it a couple of times <laughs> to get out of things. Like, I'm so sorry I didn't get that report to you. My dad died. 
But now you can't use that anymore. <laughs> I know. Oh, I know. Uh, and I mean, I, I say it, you know, with the laughingly. I didn't say it exactly like that. Well, you my... and you were really busy with the funeral arrangements. You had a huge part to play in helping get things ready, helping with your family, just counseling and, and comforting and being that support. I know that we're not there, so it impacts us a little bit differently, that we're not there day to day having lived with him. And so the sense of loss for us is not in the same degree because we don't see him every day or hear his voice every day. Um, so you were able to be a real strength to those who were just weakened by it all and uh, some despair. I think some of your siblings were in despair and um, just so saddened. Uh, even though they knew it was coming, it's interesting. You just really can never prepare for that in a way that um, until it happens, and then you want to reverse time and say, okay, I just want one more day with that person. I don't know why that happens in our mind and heart, but the finality of death is so final. Yeah, it, and it's the, the, the thing that is, 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 is weird about it is that why are we surprised by it? Like it's, it's so obvious when you say it out loud, but when it's that personal, I think that's what it is, obviously. It's, it's how personal it is when you lose someone that's that close to you. Well, and I think for you guys, Tom, you guys, you were born and raised in that house and lived there for so many years and so many memories. And um, just it was a foundational place. And having both your mom and dad gone on, it is really a change of the guard. It's no longer do you have a covering of parents. And so there's a sense of when you said, I feel alone, that being a, somewhat of an orphan or not having that covering is kind of a new, trying to find your place in your family now and in the dynamics of where you fall as uh, a birth order, but also just who's in charge of what, because there's this kind of vacant or absence of leadership or, and it's not that your dad was leading strong and, you know, vivaciously, he was slowly dying, but there is that just sense that you're always, he's always going to be your father, no matter if he's, you know, sickly in bed. Or... Right. He's ahead of you. He's over you. He is providing that sense of cover. And, and now that's gone. Um, and it, it just points me more to heaven. For sure. Right. So, Carrie, uh, we don't have a lot much uh, more time in this segment. Do you, uh, is there any particular memory that you have from the, uh, this whole funeral journey? that jumps out at you? Um, I would say just how rooted East Coast Bostonians are. I think that was just very striking to see how set in neighborhoods, communities, people are there that they don't really get up and move. And so there's just the strength of relationships. Yeah, you know, it was um, it was really odd to me. I mean, not odd, but like the funeral director was high school classmate, the altar server who was assisting the pastor, a high school classmate. I mean, my actual high school class, <laughs> classmate, not just in the high school. It is amazing just how many people that I grew up with still live in, in that town. And there is something rich about that. It, it's, it's 
much more foreign to us. Well, we're up against a break. When we come back, Carrie, let's continue to talk about Faith Fellowship Franciscan and Fatima. Hey, this is Dr. Tom Curran, the host of Sound Insight, but also a realtor serving wonderful folks like you in the state of Washington and in Idaho. I've had the privilege and pleasure of helping dozens of families in the last two and a half years discern and find a a strategy, a path, and a plan to help their families find a whole new life in eastern Washington and northern Idaho. If I could be of service to you in that, I would love to. Please reach out drtomcurran.com, drtomcurran.com. Okay, back to Sound Insight. Hey, welcome back to the program. This is Tom Curran and sharing a bit about my dad's funeral and, well, also his wake. And what was interesting or different about this wake was that we combined sort of West Coast and East Coast. Uh, my mom, when, when she died about six years ago, we did a... Uh, we did the wake in the church, and it was in the context of a rosary. And we had family members share at the beginning of five decades, and we had my mom was in the choir, so the choir performed some beautiful music between a couple of the decades and um, some beautiful prayers. And so my dad loved that. So my dad was like, I want that. I want that. And so we we did it at St. Malachy's, the parish that he helped uh renovate and we had it in the chapel where he did quite a bit of renovation and that was very meaningful but it but honestly it was very different for folks uh, on the east coast because they're used to having wakes in funeral homes where you go in and there's the casket typically open and people will go they'll kneel they'll say a prayer and then they'll go by the receiving line of the, the primary family members and so we took that element of East Coast wakes, Boston Catholic wakes, and we combined it with what I learned from you out here in the sort of the Seattle tradition. I don't know if it's just a Seattle thing, but the wake is a rosary and it happens in a church. And so we had a rosary again and we had it in the church, and but we also had a receiving line where people would come and they'd pray in front of my dad's remains and then they would come and and here we were, the five siblings with our spouses, lined up for receiving the people who were there. Yeah, it was really different. I, As many funerals as I've been to, I don't recall going to a funeral home and going through a line to give my condolences to a family. I think maybe like 40 years ago. I might have gone with my mom and dad and family, but usually it is a rosary or you just, we go to the funeral. Um, Yeah, it it was so funny just to see the different cultural traditions on the East Coast and the West Coast. And I think your family just had a hard time doing anything different. They really like to stay to the tradition. This is how you do it. This is how it's done. Where I feel like well, it's what's people, known. <laughs> I feel like people on the West Coast are a little bit more open and willing to try and vary things. That's called a hasty generalization, there, dear. I know it's a huge generalization, <laughs> but it is. I just learned that watching all the people there, it like mostly. I don't know. I'm saying I'm thinking 95 percent of the people there still live in the same home they were born in. Or if they got married, they're in those homes, those neighborhoods, and they really don't move. Uh, let me just say it this way. They all 
let's say 90% of the people live within 50 miles <coughs> of the home they grew up in. 50 miles. And that's not a big distance. And I think 90% of those people live within 8 miles. miles. Yeah. yeah, it's not... So, and when you think of towns here, so Federal Way was 100,000 people. Uh, your town is like 20,000. So you have little towns all next to each other. They're not these huge towns. They all have one high school, whereas Federal Way had five high schools. Or typically a bigger town like Kent or Renton, Auburn, there's multiple high schools where you really have small towns next to small towns, next to small towns that all feed into Boston. And the other thing about Boston is all your neighborhoods are very uh, uh, culturally specific. Like this is the uh, Jewish community. This is the Italians. This is the Irish. This is where the Latinos. It's very specific to the cultural uh, heritage or the background, yeah, ethnicity. So it's just very different, and I mean, I loved that, and I I enjoyed that so much. I mean, how many Italian or uh, in your area, just like very specific Italian bakeries were there? We had more. What is it? Uh, all the different cookies and uh, past, I want to say pastels. I don't know. The it's not cannelloni. It's uh, what's that? That uh, Danish with the cream in it. Uh, let me see. What it's not biscotti. It's I don't remember that. <laughs> All these little cookies everywhere from the Italian bakeries, um, but it just has such a different feel because they they live there, they stay there, and so you're so when we stood in, in the line for the wake. All your neighbors came, and they, I, I imagine many of them aren't Catholic, or some of them aren't, but I never met them, but they all knew you guys, and they had lived there all their lives, and you'd lived there all your lives, and it was very sweet. And then um, just having all your cousins come through and your aunts and uncles and just the sense of really tight bonds and belonging – like and they, and I still remember they all live in the same areas where when we visited them, um, and again those areas are very small. It just does not have that that sprawling, like far distance feeling that you have when you come to the West Coast. You've heard about <coughs> like, I hear about this idea of the pioneer spirit, right? People going west, going west, going west, and there's that sense of you're fleeing or you're journeying or you're adventuring or you're exploring. But so there's a definitely a sense of you are not settling. You're doing the opposite. I really feel like that's part of our culture out here. And yeah. so when, when there's a change or people want to try things differently or uh, create a new way of doing something, I don't think you're going to get as much resistance as if, well, just look at the Catholic Church in Seattle, Spokane versus Boston. They're not changing things in Boston. How long did it take for them to allow for certain changes, if at all? Yeah, it was. Um, yeah, yeah, that's a that's an interesting question to explore. Let's not explore that one today. <laughs> I was going to say something different. I didn't realize how old everybody got in Boston. <laughs> I am serious. I saw these like, who's that old guy coming through? That guy looks familiar to me. <gasps> that's my first cousin. Oh my goodness, that first cousin's younger than I am. He looks so old. Oh my goodness, those are the first cousins that are my age. They look so old. You know how we used to think our gran- our aunts and uncles were old looking? And yeah. now we're those aunts and uncles. We are, dear. We're the gray-haired aunts I'm and that uncles. old uncle. Okay, so I thought that 
God mercifully, I thought, what I experienced was God redeeming very beautifully the the harshness and the difficulties associated with the timing and manner of my dad's death, like the slow decline and the pressures and stresses that put on my siblings and, and my nieces and nephews that were there caring for him. And there was a there was a beautiful kind of resurrection. There was a beautiful type of redemption in the wake service rosary and in the funeral and burial. Yes. It just felt like there was a lightness. There was a lifting. And part of me thinks it was the distance in time between his death and the wake. It was about 10 days after he died. I don't think I'd ever been like personally connected to somebody who died and then had a wake so much longer afterwards. Mm-hmm. But it was a gift because people had a chance to like get beyond the numb feeling, the stunned feeling, the the out-of-control emotional mourning and had, I think... Um, come to terms with things a bit more. But but beyond that was God's grace. It was really grace-filled. It was very, there's a lot of joy, healing, kindness, uh, just good, a sense of good. And I think honest respect and honor to your mom and dad and all that they have done or did to raise the family and to provide the home and the experience of life that they had there in that town and in that that house which happened to just be at the corner of one of the busiest intersections in your town and so everyone always you would always drive by your house it was like a marked location which was very sweet in some respects um but no it it was very joy-filled uh and peaceful so what a grace and what a gift i would say that again i would point this out to you, my dear sweet brothers and sisters, when you have these moments where you have an opportunity to open up conversations that are different, take advantage of them. So I had several conversations with nieces of mine who were in their 20s who had stepped away from their practice of their Catholic faith and were probably a bit lost trying to figure out their own lives and maybe a bit broken and still figuring stuff out, right? Like, guess what? Most people. But I think they had lost a sense of confidence that their Catholic faith, the faith they had been brought up in, was could be a source of insight, a source of strength, or could provide credible guidance for what they were facing. Yes, and could bring them joy and peace and just freedom from carrying a lot of burdens. And so... I had the, again, God broke it open. I think partly it was because I shared a couple of times. I shared, I was the one who was leading and facilitating the rosary service, had a chance to share about uh, my dad's um, saying, you know, thank you, God, for everything. And I really did share about it in a way that was evangelistic, wanting people to know that when you're in a really hard spot, if you wanted to imitate a person of faith, that they could see God even in the middle of that and even be overwhelmed by God's blessings in the middle of that and cry out for God's mercy in the middle of that 
in the middle of the, all the sufferings and pains and, and things that, that my dad was going through. And, and then at the funeral, had a chance to just share about you live either by accident or by design. And it's a matter of, do you see the hand of God, you know, writing a story? Do you see the hand of God purposefully at work in your life? Or is it just a bunch of accidents and coincidences? And so I, I took advantage of those opportunities and had a chance to talk to, again, several nieces about the Lord and about God's the living God and, and how Jesus wants to, he's knocking on the door of their hearts and are they open to, to reach back out to him and, and to seek him? And it was beautiful. It was, that for me was a, that was a, a real gift. One other thing, Carrie, that I, I took some delight in was uh, our kids. Um, I mentioned that I ended up getting on a plane on Thursday, and Mary Grace got on a plane in Portland. We met in Pittsburgh, and we drove and went to Franciscan University, and we were there for a day, just over a day. You were there for homecoming? For their homecoming. And then Saturday morning got up and took a, took a ride. Ended up in New York City, Times Square, Central Park, spent the night there, and then drove Sunday morning to Boston. And a couple of things jumped out at me. The first was, once again, a confirmation about the beauty of the faith of the students at Franciscan University and the faithfulness of the life on campus. It was very beautiful. Uh, I think the, the most striking thing was when we got there, it was Friday, first Friday, and no, I meant, no, it was Thursday, sorry. It was Thursday late afternoon. And we're like, oh, let's let's get some dinner. And they said, well, yeah, but I want to go to confession first. My junior, Mary Catherine, I want to go to confession. Oh, me too. So said my freshman, one of the three. And then the other one said, me too. And then the other one says, well, I'll go too. And then Mary Grace was like, I'll go. And all of a sudden, I've got f my five my five kids that are with me five of my six oldest, are like, well, let's all go to confession. And then Mary Catherine's like, we got to get there half an hour early. A half hour? Have to get there half an hour early to get in line for confession. And they have like one priest or something? <laughs> I'm joking. They have 12 priests are you serious? confession. That's And the amazing. line was 100 people long. Wow. What a bunch of sinners. <sighs> I thought they were holy. <laughs> A hundred <laughs> students, a hundred students long. And I'm wow. like, what? This is going to take hours. They said, no, Dad, there's like 12 priests. There's like 12 stations. And they're like, I went to station 11. Oh, you too? I was at station 11. Oh, what a nice <laughs> priest. He was so easy. He gave me two Hail Marys. Oh, really? I only got one. What did you do wrong? And that's so cool. Isn't that amazing? You, you talk about the importance of culture, right? Culture is the atmosphere. What's in the atmosphere? And in what's in the atmosphere at Franciscan and what my kids have been fed by and also brought to the school because it's something that's, that's not a shocking thing to them to go to confession regularly. But now it's bolstered by a hundred other kids on Thursday. And they said, yeah, it's like this every, every time they have confession, there's a hundred kids in line. 
and they've got 12 priests. They do this a couple times a week, and it's always like this. Oh, my goodness. Isn't that beautiful? That's really something. What, we need like something like that for the adults. Like when I was there, I thought, I want to go back to college. Just the sense of community and wanting to strive after God and trying to outdo each other in holiness and and that kind of holy zeal and jealousy for wanting to be more holy than the next person. I don't know. It, it's lost upon our uh, time or season in life where we're now parents and all the weight of the world and responsibilities of the world. I'm like, how do we... How do we capture that and make our own growth and desire to grow in God not easier, but just more encouraging and more um, doable and actually seeing the dial move? Uh, it, it just feels like it's a, it's, sometimes it's a tough... Uh, it's a heavy lift. It's a heavy lift. And I, I would love to try to reconfigure life in families to be a more encouraging and inspiring lift that we would do together. I don't know how you do that, though. Well, you're going to learn an answer to that question and a really cool thing that was said to me several times when I was there. What is it? I'll tell you in a minute. Hey, this is Dr. Tom Curran, the host of Sound Insight, but also a realtor serving wonderful folks like you in the state of Washington and in Idaho. I've had the privilege and pleasure of helping dozens of families in the last two and a half years discern and find a, a strategy, a path, and a plan to help their families find a whole new life in eastern Washington and northern Idaho. If I could be of service to you in that, I would love to. Please reach out, drtomcurran.com, drtomcurran.com. Okay, back to Sound Insight. Welcome back to the program. So, Carrie, you asked the question, how do we get that kind of spirit that we see at Franciscan with those, you know, with our kids, how do we get that to happen here? Well, I've got a couple answers. The, the first, though, is I want to mention that statement that um, several times I had, like, friends of my boys say to, to me at Franciscan, when we got there, they were having a ultimate frisbee game, and after the game, they introduced me to their team. And one of the young men, this freshman, you know, you know, shook my hand and said, "Thank you for raising such godly men, young men. Thank you. For, you're you've such you've got great young men that you've raised. You've done a great job." I'm like. Who are you? You're like an 18, 19 year old young man, and you're saying to. And he said, When I hang around with your sons, I want to follow Jesus better. Wow. I, I want to love Jesus more. That's so cool. And I thought, again, who are you? And uh, so he, he was my favorite. His name's Anthony. He was my favorite. He's my favorite. He's the one who, John Mark's like, yeah, he's the guy who knocks on our door at one o'clock and says, let's go out and pray a rosary. Let's walk the campus and pray a rosary. I'm like, what? <laughs> what is happening? What is happening at Franciscan University where you have these freshmen knocking on each other's doors at one in the morning and not saying, let's go party and do carouse and all this other stuff. No, let's go pray a rosary. I'm like, that's what I like. We'll bring on more of that. Well, 
lo and behold, these guys, most of them come from the same parish, Christ the King in Ann Arbor. And it's like, well, wait a minute, what is that? Well, Christ the King in Ann Arbor has certain parishioners like Mary Healy, Ralph Martin, Peter Herbeck, and a bunch of other Catholics that are part of the Word of God covenant community. And they said it's, it's just this parish that is so alive because of the faith of this density of families that attend the parish. Are we moving? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> I'm joking. <laughs> what I'm saying is, is that they have a, like they have a Benedict option thing going on there that they started like 50 years ago. Okay. You know, this started in the, in the seventies. Um, and so, you know, it's, it's been around. It's, and, and it's amazing that it's still going that you have, you know, that many families. And, and, the, and these, these guys were like, oh, yeah. So did you guys go to a high school? No, we all, we all were homeschooled and did a co-op together. I'm thinking, oh, wow, what a beautiful, what a beautiful thing. It, it, it was a way for them to uh, foster that same sense of, like, culture, right? That sense of what's the atmosphere we want to have around our young men. And what was neat was um, when I had on Peter Herbeck, he was talking all about that boys camp. Well, one of the guys on their team was a minister at the camp. He was one of the, because the the camp that happened here in Gig Harbor, uh, for the first time, they went out to that camp and, and he asked me about them. He said, hey, were you part of that? Did you know anything about that camp that happened in Western Washington? So we had a really neat conversation about that. Because John Mark and John Luke were asked to be camp counselors. So they're like, hey, yeah, you can come back next year. You can come to Ann Arbor and do the camp with us. I think they are the boys that invited them to their house for Thanksgiving. Well, John Mark had said there's like three boys that come from the same town, and they all grew up together, and they're really great kids. And Yeah, there's like 25 they, of them. Oh, at Franciscan? Yeah. Oh, like, that's so cool. Like 25, they're not all freshmen, but there was something like 10 or 15 that came this year. And there's just like a bunch of them that have come through the years from that school. So again, that just makes it so much easier. Well, and, and, and folks, again, I know it's it's only October, and I know that there are many parents out there who have juniors or seniors in college, but uh, in, in high school, but you you ought to really be thinking and praying about where do you want your kids to go to school? Because one of the biggest factors that's going to impact their lives, it's not in the classroom. As important as the classroom is, yes, yes, yes. It's not even the name of the school. It's No, it's the spirit. It's, it's, the, it's the culture. It's, it's the atmosphere of the kids in the campus, on the campus, at the campus, and what they're doing. That's what's so important. So I really encourage you to look at schools like Franciscan University and specifically to look at Franciscan University if, if some of these things are striking to you as well. So um, did you, so I drove the kids there and then you drove them back. I drove 11 hours. <laughs> After the funeral, <laughs> I got on a plane in Boston and flew okay. back here to be with our kids. Do you ever have that dream where you can't 
get out of a space and you're driving around circles. So it took us an hour and 45 minutes to get out of Boston. Because every time we went through the tunnels, which I don't know why you have so many tunnels in your city, our GPS would go out. And so we kept like one wrong turn would take you on another freeway to another turnaround through another tunnel. Why didn't you just look for I-90 and head west? I know. You would think it would be that that complicated. Tom, I'm telling you, it was actually so ridiculous. I just started laughing hysterically because... I didn't know what else to do. We were there for an hour and a half. Well, somebody left the car with no gas. I won't say who. So we we could not just get on I-90. We had to go find a gas station, which there were no gas stations like straight away. There's so many freeways and over and under and through the tunnels. I'm telling you, it was the most ridiculous, crazy experience. Of course, the city was built, what, 200 years ago? I don't even know. So it's no, not all laid out. Hundred years ago, <laughs> it's not laid out like a West Coast city where it's very clear and marked. No, there's quick, sharp, last-minute turns. No way to get on off um, the freeway. And then I was in a rental car, so uh, <laughs> it was so crazy. It, it was actually so funny. Anyhow, it was a bad dream. It felt like the dream where you just could never get out of whatever. Um, were your kids patient with you? Oh, my goodness. We were laughing. Well, initially, we were just trying to get on the freeway, and we were very, very frustrated. And then within 25 minutes, we just started, like, let it go. Like, why get upset? There's nothing we could do. We'll just hope that we can figure what this out. What are you going to do? <laughs> what are you going to do? That's good. You became a Bostonian. What are you going to do? I'm trying to figure out how we would have done that without GPS. Like, if we had paper and had to do the maps and had to actually read directions it would have been crazy but um what was your question oh the drive back was great it was a beautiful day we had great music i'm telling you you drive in a car today you have any talk you want to listen to any video you want to watch any song you could possibly listen to any between youtube and podcasts and spotify we were covered and then we had quiet because like at a certain point i'm thinking i just need to be quiet um, we prayed a rosary, of course. Uh, it was just great. And we, I think we only did two quick stops. We had food with us, so we didn't stop. We had to make it, we got into Steubenville at 1 a.m. And so it was just a really long day, but it, it went by really, like, considering how long we drove, it didn't seem that long. And then the fall colors were everywhere. And so just, you know what they need to make? They need to make an app that when you are driving, you can hit a, a button and it shows you like all the historic places around you. Like over here is, you know, this special battle happened or this is where a president was born. They need to have some kind of app. So as you're driving the country or you're driving through places, and then I wanted to know where all the companies were, like where was, you know, IBM or where did they build, you know, Uh, computers or TVs or some technology. I wanted to know like where the big corporations were in the area or what started there, what got invented there. I mean, it was just because the thing about the East Coast driving is you're stuck on a freeway and you can't see anything except trees. There's no big distance. It's not like Montana where it's big open sky or Wyoming or, or even Idaho and Washington. You can see a good, you know, 30 to 50 miles in front of you at times. Here you can only see trees. And it's all really tight. So you really can't see any kind of landmarks. Does that make... Do you know what I'm talking about? You don't know what I'm talking about. I like your app idea. 
but yes, right. Uh, not brilliant. that I should. Or uh, some voice comes on and says, "Right now, you are passing the the such and such Parkway. This is named after the president that blah blah blah. Or this is where the Battle of such and such happened in the year such and, th- and this many people died and this many people and this is the beginning of the Revolutionary War or the Civil War, whatever. Because there's so many historical places there, but I couldn't drive and try to figure that out. All I know is we went by West Point. <laughs> it's like, oh, you guys, there's West Point. <laughs> and we went across some bridge. I didn't even know the name of the river, but I think it was, what's West Point? What river is it on? Is it the Hudson? The Hudson River. Okay, it was the Hudson. That's what I thought. But anyhow, it was, um, that's, a new, that's a new idea for an app. There you nice. go. You're welcome. <laughs> All right. Well, Carrie, we're up against a break. Back in a minute with more Sun Insight. Welcome back to the program. This is Tom Carmen. It's great to be with you. So uh, today's Friday the 13th. And you can say, oh. October 13th. Yes, thank you. It's not Friday the 13th. It's October the 13th. And why is that significant, dear? Uh, something about a visionary, Fatima. Visionary or visionaries. <laughs> Am I going to put you to the test? <laughs> yeah, go ahead. I can happily fail. I'm fine with it. No, you're good. So October 13th, that's the final of the appar- uh, of the appearances of the Blessed Mother to the three visionaries in Fatima, Portugal. And uh, this was the, the day of the miracle of the sun. Right, where the sun was like dancing in the sky, and there were like seventy thousand people witnessing it, and um, it was pouring rain, and people had come out because uh, uh, Jacinta and Francisco and Lucia, the three visionaries, had said that the the Blessed Mother was going to uh, perform a miracle. God was going to do something miraculous and supernatural and people came out to see. Isn't that amazing when you think about it that a 10-year-old, a 9-year-old, and a 7-year-old could have that kind of influence that 70,000 adults show up in the middle of a sheep field I'm just in trying to imagine rural Portugal? Before porta-potties, how would you crowd control and feed 70,000 people? Now, isn't there another important uh, part of the state besides Fatima? Another important part of our, the state. Our date, like October 13th. Isn't there something else that happened on the state? Is this like, are you asking me a, like I'm a, just is this a rhetorical you. question? <laughs> I've, my family has sent me multiple videos on the significance of the state. And a lot of different YouTubers and podcasters are talking about uh, praying and fasting. And uh, I. Like there are there are people who have like supposedly um, who receive messages from God, and they're like prophets of our time, that kind of thing. Uh, yeah, there's one was about uh, a, a real strong sign's going to come in the month of October, but I don't know about that one. Uh, one <laughs> podcaster or YouTuber was all about uh, Akita, Japan, and then. Uh, it wasn't just Fatima. It was another visionary. I don't know, Tom. It it was interesting to... What I loved about listening to these different folks is their passion and love and hope in God and in the church and in going to daily mass and in confession and having a, a clean soul and doing penance, 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 prayer. So it's encouraging to hear people of deep faith that are 100% in the battle and they want to be uh their their focus is is on god and solely 
to do his will, which inspires me because I feel like I get a little distracted, of course. Um, but at the same time, some of these people have been saying this for years, so it gets a little disconcerting. I think part of it also came up because of the huge battle happening right now with um, Israel and the bank and Hamas and something of regarding Muslims. And I don't know, it got a little bit goofy that people were called. I think there was a cry for Muslims to take up arms and battle against Christians on today's date. So I don't know. Have you heard any of this stuff going around the social media? I mean, it's like all over. Yeah, I... I, I try not to. <laughs> just don't, don't bother. I'm so busy with other stuff <laughs> in my life. I know. I'm like, how do people have time to send all this yeah. to me? I, I just want to be holy. And I just wonder how much of this is a distraction versus, um, let me ask the question. So you have these three visionaries who became consumed with God and with living their lives for God, doing God's will, doing penance. Do you know what it was that was the most significant, let's say, um, motivator for them to be so passionately consumed with serving the Lord. I want to say they saw a vision of hell. Yeah. It, okay. Was it the vision of hell or the vision of heaven? Hell. It was the vision of hell. That's what shocked them out of complacency and into action. So I think that'd be really helpful if we all could have a vision of <laughs> Something to motivate us. <laughs> well, it's, it's again, it's stripping away the veneer that all is well. It's stripping away the protection of a comfortable, casual life where everything's satisfying. I think that's why funerals and death and someone dying kind of just brings you to what is really important in life. That's where you have those more deeper, uh, vulnerable conversations because there and is can this... Can I shift a... I'm going to add a different word in there. For sure. Um, what is important in life? How about what's at stake in life? I don't think we think like, what's important in life? People will say family's important. Okay. But if you say, what's at stake in your life? Heaven or hell? Eternity with God forever in heaven, perfect happiness, or burning in the I'm just thinking sea <laughs> of fire, I'm, I'm poked like, by what's the devil, screaming in terror. <laughs> Did my child finish their homework? Do I have enough food in the pantry for for feeding our guests tomorrow night? I don't think like that. I mean, I think that's where, yeah, there needs to be a shaking, an awakening. Well, I, I would say that most saints would say, you're doing the right thing. In other words, the way that you're going to become a saint isn't by having a vision of hell, but by fulfilling the duties of your state in life. I don't know, Tom. I'm just going to poo-poo that. <laughs> no, I want a vision of hell. No, actually, I don't. Yeah, but I do want something. I just really want Lord Christ to to something to shock. Like, I want those those things you put on someone's heart to wake it. paddles. Yes. I need my paddles on my heart to, like, wake it up or to to, like, alert it to what's at stake. I don't know if that makes any sense. I'm I feel pretty... like I'm asleep. Spiritually, I feel like I'm asleep. Do you really? Well, compared to what's happening supernaturally, yes. I don't, like with what's happening in our culture, I'm just not passionate and gung-ho enough to go march seven times around 
some wall and hope it falls and pray at 1 a.m. a rosary with a bun- with my kids or grab you out of bed at 3 a.m. I'm not doing a, a very good job. Say, Tom, <laughs> let's get up at 3 a.m. and go uh, walk around our neighborhood I'll and wake pray. up at 3 a.m. You ready? <laughs> you we can walk around our neighbor's house. That would be pretty cool. I, I'm just They'd Get us on you. film and call <laughs> the cops on us. <laughs> I would love to just be awakened. Or let's just like grab a bunch of people and like, how do we wake each other up to say, let's go after the Lord? So that would be my desire. Well, I think that that is a, I don't know, I'm not ready to, to talk about it yet on the radio, but it's, it's, it's part of a really important discernment I'm going through right now about how am I supposed to spend the time that remains? That's one of the things that death also does. You know, the death of a loved one, like my dad, is yes. I realize how close I am to his age. Yeah. And how many more years do I have of productive use in terms of energy and, and capacity uh, to be able to devote myself to make a difference for God. Yeah. And the first way I'm going to do that is through holiness, but then it's also through fulfilling his mission for my life. And so just to be able to pause and ask yourself the question, am I fulfilling God's mission for my life? How confident am I that I'm spending my time and life on doing what God has for me to do with my life. So I think that that's, that's a really, that's a big deal question that, that I have and I'm wrestling with. And I think that Our Lady of Fatima um, in, in today's feast day is a um, very fitting opportunity uh, to reflect on that, uh, I will say, you know, it, if you have not discovered the rosary as a regular prayer for your life, please consider it. Today is a day to maybe say, okay, well, uh, I'm going to pay attention to the church's calendar and, and realize that this is not an accident, and I'll see what God's doing. Uh, I also want to encourage you to come out if you are in Renton, if you're in the Puget Sound area, uh, tonight there is a an Encounter School of Ministry evening of empowerment and ministry and praise. Uh, I'm going to be giving a talk um, on the identity and transformation that, that the Lord has for us in our lives of faith um, and praying with folks for uh, that empowerment with the Holy Spirit for healing, for uh, expectant faith to see the Lord move in signs and wonders. And so St. Stephen the Martyr, come on out tonight, six o'clock. would love to uh, see you. I'd love to praise and worship God with you. Uh, share, again, a, a teaching and a talk that I hope you'll find uh, invigorating and encouraging and, and moving. And then, uh, and then to pray together to pray and just see what the Lord wants to do to awaken your life of faith. All right, we are against the end of our program. I want to thank you for walking with us through uh, this hour. And um, pray for tonight, please. And join me on Monday for more Sound Insight.